0: That's Blue
1: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Political Party Podcast. This one featuring Conservative MP Tim Lawton, recorded at a special event at the Pleasant Courtyard at the Edinburgh Festival. Usually when I interview people in Edinburgh, it's Scottish politicians in previous years. It's been Jim Murphy and then Ruth Davidson. But I knew Tim was going to be at the festival and given his role in vote leave and the fact he ran Andrea Leadsom's Conservative Leadership Party campaign. Until she pulled out. I thought he would be a particularly interesting guest to speak to again. And I also knew that he's a very funny man who would absolutely deliver us a lot of laughs, which he certainly does. It's a fascinating interview, and Tim is at his roguish best. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. The first of a gig in a sauna here at the Edinburgh Festival. Welcome to. For... <laughs> I realise it's very, very hot, so uh, thank you very much for coming. Um, this is uh, different from the usual stand-up show that I've been doing here uh, throughout the festival. Every month in London I uh, host a show called The Political Party where I interview big political names, interesting political folk from across the political spectrum. And what, what I always say at the start of those nights is firstly that people should enjoy themselves and there'll come a point during the show where you can ask questions. But what's really important is that this is a light-hearted and supportive environment where even if we disagree with our guest, that we do it in a, in a sort of disrespectful disres- uh, way. <laughs> shit! Oh, too much Corbyn, all the rules have changed um, We do it in a respectful manner as possible And that we, ah, that we, oh, fucked it straight up um, Let's just try and be nice, right, that's what I'm saying um, My guest today, someone I've interviewed before is one of the first people that I interviewed when I started the show years ago Uh, And I interviewed him because I'd seen him on TV on a wonderful show called Tower Block of Commons. some of you may have seen, where four MPs went into deprived areas and lived uh, amongst normal people. And Tim, a Conservative MP, uh, was one of the funniest and one of the most human people on it, and I was fascinated by him. The more I got to know him, I realised he's one of the naughtiest MPs in Parliament, and... (laughs) regularly heckles uh, and it's, in, it's a, a fascinating relationship with John Berg I remember the, the first times I saw him heckle during Prime Minister's Questions uh, there was a, a female Tory MB uh, uh, Cheryl Gillan who stood up to ask a question and she was wearing a leopard print top and you could see Tim behind her going <laughs> 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 and uh, immediately got told off by one of his colleagues one of his colleagues. he's a real character He also ran Andrea Leadsom's campaign to be Conservative leader and Prime Minister, so I'm sure there'll be lots of questions about Andrea's CV and uh, various other things. He's an absolute star. He's a very funny man. He's a top bloke. Please give a massive reception to my guest today, Tim Lawton. Hello Tim. Hello Matt. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, we've, we've met a few times before. We've spoken a few times before. We always have a good laugh. Um, I wonder. Uh, I was asking you backstage just there about being in Scotland as a Conservative MP. Uh, whether you've ever sort of come here and campaigned much?
2: Well, yeah. We I was here on referendum day with uh, with Boris, and we were putting <laughs> some
3: uh, putting
2: some of these vote leave stickers out on people's cars, um, <laughs> which went down really well. <laughs> there we are. Still got one of them here, and uh, but I have taken the vote leave sticker off my car to come up to Scotland this time. I think that's safe. Is that because it's had the windows put in, or yeah?
1: (laughs) So that campaign, because you you campaigned for vote leave, I did, did you? We won, hurrah!
2: (laughs) Remember the rules, you'll regret it, you'll regret it.
1: Did you expect Vote Leave to win? Of course I didn't.
2: (laughs) So what did you think the outcome was going to be? I had a bet with Boris on the day of the referendum that it would be about 52-48, and we were absolutely right, but the other way. So I was a bit surprised.
1: And what's your relationship like with Boris?
2: What what are you asking about? (laughs) I don't know, what is there to tell? Well... Boris, Boris is a character, and I got during the, the campaign. I have to say, having Boris on the phone is always an experience. Your phone rings. Boris said, "Johnny, good." Boris Boris, 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 bit, 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 bit. Oh, sorry, got go. oh. again. <laughs> <laughs> and after about the tenth call, you sort of get the hang of what he what he wants. But he's a great character. But I just thought when he did those debates, when he did the first debate against Amber Rudd, Nicola Sturgeon. And Angela Eagle, it was just like they're all exes of Boris's saying, and you never put the loose seat down, and you never did your share of the work, all this sort of thing. All picking on Boris, it was bizarre. But he, and they probably were all at Well, not all. Of
1: them. <laughs> I mean, is there any gossip in that area, or is that oh, no, not at all, no, no gossip around Boris at all. No. <laughs> squeaky,
3: squeaky clean, excuse me.
1: It was fascinating watching it all um, and, and trying to guess, because you could see that Vote Leave had a certain amount of momentum and there was, there was more... Don't mention momentum. <laughs> it, was, it was more fun to be had. I mean, in terms of your role in the campaign, was it a fun movement to be a part of? It was completely nuts. No, it was
2: fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. I didn't go on the bus, didn't approve of £350 um, million on the side of the bus, which was woefully in- in- inaccurate. It was 370 billion, actually, was the final <laughs> thing that, uh, turned out to uh, to be. But, um, no, no, there was a real... It was an amazing campaign to go on, because everybody thought we were going to going to lose, and so we had nothing to lose. So I did loads of public meetings uh, around, the, around the country. We had a lot of fun. A lot of people came out of the, the woodwork, and nobody took Vote Leave seriously. And it was just fantastic to see Cameron going everywhere rolling up his sleeves, going on to B&Q, going onto shop floors, saying, yeah, we've got to do this, uh, we've got to do this for Britain, it's going to be a disaster if we don't. And he completely cocked it up. And everybody went to one of the meetings who I spoke to afterwards said, well, I, I was unsure before, but now I know I'm going to vote leave. So he was doing some amazing favour. It was incredible. They just didn't get it. And every day there was a new warning: you know, Martian's going to land, plague's going to hit, third world war's going to break out. Every family is going to be four thousand three hundred pounds worse off. Your pensions are going go to go uh, uh, to to pot. And uh, nobody believed it. And they didn't realise that people weren't believing it anymore. And That's where they went wrong. In
1: terms of Cameron, then, I mean, did you feel a little bit guilty? So, open... no, no. <laughs> But it, it wasn't a good advert for the Tory party, was it, seeing what, it? David Cameron? <laughs> well, seeing people so openly attack him.
2: Well, I, that, I mean, that was his problem, wasn't it? I mean, he set him up as a one-man um, vote remain show, and that was the, probably the big mistake. And he needn't have done it. He could have stayed back and said, look, this is my position, I think we should stay, for all these perfectly legitimate uh, reasons, this is what I believe in, and let the others go around the country and get all the other parties involved even got Jeremy Corbyn involved perhaps getting a few Labour voters to come and vote Remain rather than vote UKIP
1: um, but that was his big mistake It was it was a phenomenal civil war that opened up and, and the, you must feel slightly relieved that because of Jeremy Corbyn the Conservatives have
2: got away with it Yeah, it got, it got a bit personal at, at times and actually Cameron's attack on, on Boris was a bit unjustified, amazingly um, Which bit? Well the first one when he picked him up in, in Parliament and Slapped through it for yeah, absolutely <laughs> through. Um, but it's just it got a bit too acrimonious at times because at the end of the day, after June twenty third, whatever the result, all of us as MPs, ministers, and others, all had to get back together and continue, you know, running the country, being MPs, being representatives. So there, are, it went a bit too far at, at times. It was not an edifying campaign, I have to say, on both on both sides.
1: I think everybody was agreed on that. We could have done a lot, lot, um, better. But anyway, what the hell? We got the right results. That's that. But did, <laughs> During the campaign, were you saying to colleagues in Vote Leave, look, this is going too far, this isn't the right time, we need to be more mature or more respectful? No, we...
2: What we did...
1: Don't be stupid. What we did...
2: We were the intellectual wing of the Vote Leave campaign. I, I run... Very uh, <laughs> unfair. We... I run something called the Fresh Start Group of Conservative MPs, which has been doing a lot of research over the last few years about what reform we could get in Europe. And it was actually set up by uh, Andrea uh, Letson. And so we produced lots of policy papers on this is what Brexit would look like if you're a pensioner, if you're a small business, etc., etc. So trying to put some facts into the whole thing. So we kept away from the whole immigration and, you know, there's going to be plague and all that sort of argument and just tried to put forward a positive vision of why we thought Brexit would be better for Britain and what it actually uh, means so I think we tried to do a good job of that so did you have to deal with many UKIP figures oh you god you? no, no, no. That, I would not go that far no <laughs> certainly wouldn't grow a moustache either I <laughs> this,
3: <laughs>
2: this week now I held my nose I did one platform with Suzanne Evans I think who's the sort of almost human side of uh, UKIP but I did it I did it more with some Labour people and, uh, and with Tories mostly so Geisler Stewart I imagine Gisela Stewart yeah Gisler-Stewart. fantastic she was the most high-profile pro- high Labour politician in the whole campaign, I have to say. No, really
1: good. What other Labour figures did you work with?
2: Uh, Gisela Stewart. Um, <laughs> and Kate Hoey. Yes, of course. Very good. Uh, Frank Field. No, he's, he's smart. You know, a few, a few relatively normal people.
1: In a, in, a, in a way, it must have been quite a cathartic experience to work shoulder to shoulder with old adversaries in some regard. Well, I've been doing that for years. You Working know. <laughs> on the
2: backbenches, you tend to do it quite a lot as well. <laughs>
1: So, in terms of Cameron, what was your relationship with him like? Because you'd served as a minister uh, previously, and and then and then you were no longer a minister in a reshuffle. Um, did the, you ever the, have? Why it? are you laughing at that? Well, because I, I was trying <laughs> to talk ta- ta- that one. I was trying to tactfully say he sacked you, um, but, <laughs> but I wanted to try and be as polite as possible. Um, what was your relationship with him like? As well, people? Dave and I were never on Dave and
2: I terms, basically. <laughs> And when you get sacked, this is a great, this is a great thing. Because when I got appointed, I, it was back in, um, whenever it was, in May of 20, 2010. So I'd been a shadow minister, so I thought, you know, there's a, there's a reasonable expectation to get appointed as a minister. So everybody that day, all the Tory and B's, had their, their blackberries or their phones sort of surgically glued to their, to their ears. And you went into the tea room, and there were people who had their, had their phone next to them. And every sort of two minutes would pick it up and shake it to make sure it's still working. They'd not, they've not had the call from number 10. So I went back to my, um, to my office, nothing happened. It was getting quite late in the afternoon, all the cabinet appointments were being made and all this sort of stuff. And um, I, went to, I went to the loo, and I thought, as a precaution, I'll take my phone with me, you never know. And lo and behold, when I was sitting there reading the sun on the loo, the, the phone went off. And I, I sort of fumbled, picked it up, and it was, uh, hello, it's uh, number 10 switch here, would you stand by for a call by the Prime Minister? So I sort of stood up, as one would. LAUGHTER <laughs> But without my trousers on, and and in my fumbling around, managed to cut off the um, call from number ten switch. So and you can't you can't you know, do one four whatever and ring it ring it back. So um, so I sat there and thought they'll, they'll ring back in a minute they'll ring back in a minute. So five minutes passed, ten minutes passed, twenty minutes passed. I thought well I probably better get out of the loo at this stage. Only three hours later did I then get a call saying, number 10 switch, are you ready now to take a call from the prime minister? And I got appointed. So I got uh, appointed by a mistake over the phone. So I never actually saw him face to face and had very few meetings with him between that and being summoned to getting sacked in a very large sofa with large plump cushions. So it's a sort of sacking by soft furnishings when he breaks (laughs) the news to you that, you know. He's got mates that he wants to take your job.
1: Presuming <laughs> that's not the words that he gave when he removed you. No, no.
2: But it's full of praise for everything you've um, you've done, and what a fantastic job you've done, and how we couldn't have done it without you. But
1: now we're going to. <laughs> so uh, Cameron left uh, in the in the aftermath of the referendum results. <laughs> and then. And then you begin, you begin running Andrea Leadsom's campaign And I remember texting you at the start Saying that you know, she got a reasonable chance And then as, as the weeks wore on I sort of became convinced That she was going to win um, So let's just take it from the start um, Why did you think She was the best candidate To be leader of the Tory party Well, I didn't <laughs> no, no I didn't know. She, well
2: look, she's an old friend of mine so I support her because she and I were at university um, together and I've known her for a long time and I've seen everything she's uh, done including the stuff not on her CV throughout all the, uh, uh, all the years so I know, um, I know what she's capable of but she was always she's being mentioned as a possible person who could run for, for leader and I, I think I told you and I've told a few journalists put some money on Andrea Ledson and about two months ago you could have got 90 to 1 at the, uh, at the bookies um, which is quite a good, um, a good punt. Um, well, not in the end. Well, not in the end, no. <laughs> no, no. But it you a lot of excitement all the way to get there, wouldn't it? Um, so she, I mean, she got elected in 2010, she set up a fresh start group, she's done loads of stuff around... Uh, babies and early intervention stuff and she's uh, worked in the city, she became treasury minister really good at that, blah 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 so she was capable of doing it and she should have been in the cabinet before now but George Osborne had the black spot on her so she didn't um, um, make it all the way so I thought she was capable of it and she was a different character, she was a fresh start and um, she was a woman, She had, I think she had some really good background and she's really talented, she's absolutely up to the up to the job. So I thought, well, let's do
1: it. What was Osborne's problem with her?
2: Well, there was an incident when she was still a backbencher and um, George Osborne made some allegation against um, the uh, Ed Balls, the shadow chancellor, which turned out to be a lot of balls. And Andrew was being interviewed on the World of One or something and they slipped in at the end of the interview as they do. And do you think George Osborne should apologise for having said something about Balls, and she said, "Well, yes, probably he should." So George took that badly. George doesn't, doesn't forget things like that.
1: Because she was. Very... But look where he is
2: now. So there we
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you sort of it, 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 uh, I was going to say in an odd way, but I think probably not odd at all. Enjoy watching the demise of Cameron and Osborne. No, I think well they've done an amazing job. <laughs> From the
2: position that know, from the, like position from the Tory election. party was. I mean, I got into Parliament in 1997. We went through 13 years of being in the wilderness, having Ulling Haig, a fantastic <laughs> I, IDS, Michael Hard, and eventually Cameron. And to give him his due, Cameron won, uh, sort of won the election in uh, uh, in 2010. Uh, didn't quite win the election in 2010. And then went on, amazingly, to win the outright majority in, in 2015. So in a really difficult time... Um, actually probably achieved quite a, quite a lot. The downside was, I think as people have now seen, it was very much a chumocracy and it was governed by quite a small coterie of, uh, of Cameron's friends. And a lot of people always felt very uneasy if you were ministers in other departments that you were constantly second-guessing what Number 10 was trying to do, what it was going to put out, what it wanted to uh, uh, to do, which was not the best way of running a, a government. I think we've got a different style now, which I think is probably, probably good. So um, they've done their stuff... Couldn't have
1: done it without them, but now we're getting to. So thank you very much. <laughs> so you're running Andrew's campaign, you're two old friends, you've known each other for years, uh, I'm sure many people here, um, saw you as a visible presence, uh, if, uh, if, uh, mainly leading that um, sort of parade to Parliament. Uh, what do we want? Let's move a leader. When do we want it now? Uh, and you're at the front leading that charge. I mean, when you do stuff like that, do you, is that sort of done deliberately... To create a sense of fun, or do you think that stuff really works? It was a complete cock-up. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? I mean, the whole campaign was
2: put together in a, in a matter of days. She decided on the Wednesday night, before the nominations closed on the Thursday, she put a nomination paper in at about nine, o- nine o'clock. Um, and I went round to her flat later that night, and she said, um, right, we're going to run a campaign. Uh, would you be the campaign manager? So for seven <coughs> days, up till we had the second round of voting... We came from absolutely nothing. And she came um, She came second in the first ballot on the Tuesday, which is pretty impressive, very impressive Was head of Michael Gove.
3: <laughs>
2: and then what we were worried about was the dark arts that our Michael Gove would engineer um, some Theresa May supporters voting for Michael Gove in order for Michael Gove to get on the... Uh, the final ballot because Theresa I think much more confident she could beat Michael Gove than, um, than Andrea Lidson so um, we were worried that there was a lot of Jiggy Poker going on so at 24 hours notice we asked some people to organise a rally for Lidsom on the Thursday morning And incredible rally 250 people um, turned up they all had t-shirts
1: Corbyn said there was 20,000 there Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely right, yeah.
2: And um, she came on the stage, and just as she getting on the stage, Penny Morden, who'd been helping her write the speech in the car on the way, but see the fan stuff, said, by the way, the, in the speech we're going to ask for everybody in the audience to join the MPs who are there in marching on Parliament just to show, show them that we want Leadsom to be on the final, final ballot, and could you organise it? So she went on the stage, uh, she spoke for about 15 minutes, didn't take questions... So um, all the journeys were a bit uh, disappointed about that. So everybody spilled out onto the pavement. Um, Two hundred and fifty MPs and supporters wearing T-shirts and stuff, including my daughters, very embarrassed, and uh, and, and me, and a whole load who are in the audience, I mean, and a whole load of cameras, the BBC, Channel Four, ITV, German television, the lot were were there. And then Penny and Andrew came out, got a Mercedes, and it off. <laughs> so at which point, what do you do? So uh, I thought, well, we'd probably better march, at least. So we had people like Bill Cash. Bill Cash, well into his 70s, probably never, ever been on a march uh, like that before. Um, And some other um, sane people. So we started walking along with this phalanx of about 30 or so journos and and cameras falling into gutters ahead of us, something like this. So they're all expecting us to do something. So what do you do? So I thought, well, we'll start shouting, won't we? So, so I thought, what, what should we do? What do we, what do we want? So, so somebody said, that's good. Yeah, what about Ledson and Valida? So, right, what do we want? Leeds and Valida. When do we want it? Now. So we carried on this. And then a mad dog was set loose on us when we just got past Millbank, um, uh, And the press just went bonkers. And there were sort of TV cameras flying all over the place. And it became a legendary march. And apparently, we broke the law because you can't have a public demonstration in Parliament Square without uh, getting permission for it first. So I am a, a felon <laughs> as well. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. And the best place about Theresa Villiers, fantastic, oh, okay. great Brexit uh, uh, minister, not anymore, alas, but great Brexit minister at that uh, stage, not used to taking part in public demonstrations in the front row, twin set and pearls and handbag, and special protection officers, as she's Nor- Norman Island Secretary standing extra. Uh, not saying, what do we want, Ledson for leader, but looking very demure as we went. But she added class, I think, to the
1: <laughs> she, she was fiddling with her necklace like there were rosary beads point, <laughs> 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 praying for an intervention. Um, but you were running Ledson's campaign, and obviously there, there were a couple of things about Ledson's campaign that people really picked on. First was her CV, and a lot of people said she's lied on her CV, and, and what a sort of silly mistake to make that was. Um, did you see her CV before it was released, and, and why? Well, I got a it, copy you know? of it. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Well, this this is one that was released to the uh, to the press. So early years, Angela Crick and Cricklin Vitae uh, discovers electricity. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: splits,
2: the, <laughs> splits the atom, becomes Empress of India. Uh, recent. Recent work 1945 creates the NHS, 1951 marries Dennis Thatcher, <laughs> 1966 scores winning goal in World Cup uh, final, 1982 wins back uh, Falklands, 1994 appears as Uma Thurman in pulp uh, fiction. <laughs> so I just don't
3: know
1: what all the fuss is about. Plenty of people have lied on their CVs and things like that, but it, it did seem. Like, a sort of amateur mistake to make, didn't it? Well, it, she didn't actually do it.
2: She didn't actually issue a CV. The Times ran a story querying some of the things in her, uh, supposedly, a business um, career without asking uh, for clarification. So she then issued a CV um, after it. And it was pretty petty stuff. It was like, was she senior vice director of such and such in 1989, or was she sort of junior vice chairman of... I mean, it was, it was nonsense. She had a very successful career in uh, business. And then they turned out one bloke who said, oh, I was part of the old bearings thing that she claimed to be part of. And she was, because I remember she was holed up at the Bank of England the whole weekend that uh, happened, said, well, I never um, remember her. Uh, then it was pointed out he'd done a Radio Four documentary alongside her in 2011, all about that bearings uh, um, weekend. So quite a few people had to retract what they'd uh, what they claimed. Oh, at the end of the day, she'd had a very distinguished career in uh, uh, in business, and the fact that she had a life outside of Parliament, um, because people were trying to say oh she'd only been in Parliament six years, you know what businesses she got trying to be um, leader. Well, she's had some serious experience that didn't involve rubbing her buttocks on the green benches as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but a lovely hobby to have. Lovely. <laughs> um, the, other, the other sort of mistake, as people uh, saw it, was the interview with The Times where she sort of said that because she was a mother, she'd be a better leader than, than Theresa May. Do you think that was a cock up?
2: It was a cock up. She wasn't supposed to give any uh, any interviews. And um, the person that we. <laughs> the, over that weekend, we'd had a. It has been a completely knackering week. So on that Thursday evening, she came second in the final ballot. I told her, to go home get some rest and just get your head around the fact that she was then going to have a nine-week campaign that could end up in her being um, Prime Minister. So she just needed to sort of get her head around that, don't do any interviews. Some idiot press officer somehow got her to do uh, an interview, which happened in, I think it was Starbucks in Milton Keynes, which is never a good place to do an interview. <laughs> um, with Rachel Svester from The Times, who was never going to be her friend, uh, without recording it. Um, and interestingly, since the Times refused to release the full transcript, it was only little bits um, from it. So, you know, but that's what journalists can can do, and they they took it a bits on that. But you know, at the end of the day, they made a, people made a lot of out of it. But what she was saying was um, the thing that really motivates me is my kids. And since when has it been a, a crime to take pride in your kids? And she does; it's a big it's a big thing for her. And she was absolutely adamant that it was not trying to make a contrast with Theresa not having uh, having kids. I am mean, for many, having kids, being in politics, God knows I know, is a bit of a disadvantage, you know, because <laughs> you've got, you got other priorities.
1: <laughs> but she did, she did herself suggest that Theresa May didn't have children. She, she kind of knew what she was doing when she said
2: it. Didn't she, she didn't. She really didn't. And it was a really rookie mistake. And actually, Theresa had never spoken about the fact that she... Uh, didn't have uh, children until uh, an interview in one of the uh, weekend supplements, I think it was, the weekend um, before. So the whole thing was set up from that. And that was a problem. She was being set up all the way along. The next thing that was coming, we were... We're told um, there was they're going to try and make her do an interview that would say that Theresa's not up to it because of her diabetes, because she had this medical condition, which was never um, an issue and certainly isn't an issue for Theresa. So we were given wind that a journalist was setting up for an interview like, like that. And this was going to go on and
1: on and on, and on for, for nine weeks. So so they were going to do an interview where the journalist was going to say, Theresa May has diabetes, do you think that might be an issue for us, Prime Minister, in the hope that Andrew would fall into the trap?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's that's the sort of thing, and we were told this by journalists that was coming down the uh, coming down the track. Now, do we want nine weeks of all this stuff, of lots of Tory MPs who should know better, and, um, and newspapers just having a sort of get slug slugfest at a time when what we really needed was some leadership and some continuity because of what had happened after after Brexit and that would have been a really unedifying sight for the Tory party but more importantly for the country as a, as a whole which was why she brought it to an end and that was the right thing to do so which uh, which Tory MPs should have known better <laughs> many of them whose names you know and I know <laughs> Anna I <don't> Subri know. <laughs> no
1: no <laughs> do you think Anna Subri crossed the line
2: yeah dead right <laughs> absolutely right but she's a friend of yours she's well she was a friend of mine <laughs> <laughs> And she had the nerve. We went on the... It was a Channel 4 News, a John Snow um, live, and I turned up at the last minute, and she didn't know that I was going to be interviewed with her. So as she does, she'll go... Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> like, I don't think it's a good idea. So I go, well, fuck off. Let's get on with this. So the producer, <laughs> so the producer came up to me, and I was having some makeup put on. I said, Miss, Miss Lovlin, you won't, you won't say that, will you, when you're live? With <laughs> a minute. No, she went... I'm afraid, I like... But she went over the line, and she was making some really personal points against somebody who was a minister alongside her who was going to continue to be a minister or perhaps prime minister in a government after, uh, after that. And people, this was the same with Brexit, people just didn't think that when all this leadership stuff is over, we've all got to get back together and we're all one, we're all on the same side, running the, running the country. And that's why some people just went over, uh, over, over that line. Uh, so you've spoken to Anna since? I haven't actually, no, <laughs> but I'm sure we'll be best of friends heckling both from the back benches now at Prime Minister's Question Time. We well,
1: because when, um, when you watch Parliament, before she was promoted to, to Ministerial Life, you're often sat shoulder to shoulder with each other. At the... No, no, we do
2: get, we do get on. No, she's, she's quite, she's quite, she's a great heckler, she and I, we uh, rub buttocks and heckle together with the best of them
1: on the um, in the
2: naughty corner as it's,
1: uh, it's called in Parliament. So do you still heckle them? Because when I first interviewed you, you, were, you, you, it looked like you were heckling every week at PMQs.
2: Well, it's hard not to. And with, but Jeremy Corbyn, I mean, he just feels so sorry for him. It's just, it's just animal cruelty now, isn't it? But what, is against... we, what we do heckle now is because he's stopped at times coming out with... And Deirdre from Scunthorpe wants to know if it's safe to put, uh, put her Smalls on Gas Mark 5. <laughs> Or Dudley from Gloucester wants to know if it's too early to plant his daffodils. <laughs> but he stopped doing that a, a, a bit, so we've had to heckle him and say, "And uh, what does Brenda from Scarborough think about it?" <laughs> Woeful, woeful. So, but that's where we get our exercise. That's what the public want. <laughs> that's what the public want, and that's why Berko every week gets up and says, "The public don't like this." I get all these letters of complaint, which we know is complete bollocks because somebody did a Freedom of Information request and he had thirty-two letters. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: they love it, absolutely love it. I absol- I do love it. You love it, I know And, you and love I love watching all the all the drama of it. I, one of the things that Corbyn does, and I wonder if he's trying to sort of make a virtue out of your heckling is what he'll do is he'll read out the start of the email, the person and place and go, got an email here from from Louise in Derbyshire. And you'll all sort of shout and cheer and go, Louise is unemployed. She's not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> think, oh, you little sneak. You clever boy. I mean, do you, do you sometimes think the heckling can be counterproductive? Well, yeah, it is sometimes, but it's still fun, isn't it?
2: And, but the trouble is, what Corbyn now does is when we all start sort of shouting back at him, he does the the annoyed geography master bit, you know, sort of. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: so, sort of my office, 10 minutes, about, uh, about to say. But, um, and then people just start shouting, get on with it, it's getting dark, for God's sake. You know, so
3: <laughs> <coughs> it's getting dark! Um,
2: who are your favourite people to heckle in Parliament? Favourite people to heckle? Yeah. Well, Jeremy Corbyn was, I have to say. Um, oh, Harriet Harman, she was always a good one to uh, uh, to heckle at. Um, we'll have to get used to uh, heckling at Owen Smith, I suppose. <laughs> He's quite polite. Um, well, all of them. I mean, what about your own? Did you ever heckle Cameron during the referendum? No. Do we ever heckle Cameron? Of course you don't heckle the Prime Minister during the referendum. But there was Not in person, anyway. do you know, The television. But, no.
1: <laughs> but there were times that I watched Minister's Questions during the referendum where he would make claims about vote leave and you could hear the unrest on the Tory benches.
2: Oh, yeah, well, there was that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and were you part of that unrest? Well, I might have been,
1: yeah. <laughs> so what sort of stuff were you shouting when Cameron was making um, those statements are, 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 you, are, you, are you absolutely sure Prime Minister <laughs> sure. <laughs> such a polite echo I mean what was interesting about the Tory leadership campaign at the start of it was Boris and Gove and Boris turning up at that event to announce his leadership, uh, uh, leadership campaign and at the end of the speech saying that he was pulling out did you see that coming Well, we saw that coming the night before because,
2: um, as I say, when Andrea put her nomination papers in, because she was hoping to be part of the sort of A-team of Boris and Gove, there's an A-team, isn't there, and and Andrea, and the agreement sort of fell through for Machiavellian reasons that we now know involving involving Nick Bowles and and others. So I was with Andrea at about 11 o'clock at night when a rather whiny um, Saint Michael Gove came on the uh, on the phone to suggest that she might like to withdraw her nomination, pretty please. Um, and when she made it quite clear that she wasn't, it got more and more desperate and whiny. Um, so it was quite clear that he'd done he'd done some uh, deal, and um, Boris was about to be the victim. But nobody knew about it until later that morning. Um, Eleven thirty, when he then he did his launch. So loads of people turned up at the Boris uh, launch, all fired up. Nadine Doris was there in the front row with the rest of them. (laughs) Right, and he made this great speech at the end of it and said, "And that candidate is not going to be me." At which case, they all sort of broke out in in tears. So hardly anybody knew that was going to happen. But it then all made sense when uh, Gove had uh, announced his uh, his leadership bid as, uh, as as well. So and that was the plan, probably from several days before that. And is, is Boris still ridding from that, do you think? Do you think he was genuinely hurt? Boris was absolutely um, hurt um, by it. I mean, Boris, actually, for all his foibles, is quite a sensitive um, um, person.
1: And don't be <laughs> laughing again, he's it? It's just so outwardly confident <laughs> and bombastic. Yeah, but
2: he is. But actually, there is a, there's a real side to, uh, to Boris where he trusts people and he has friends and um, Gove was supposedly going to be his campaign manager, and Gove was working for the Gove side um, all the time. It turned out. Uh, it turned out. So he, no, he was really hurt by it, and sort of then went off into hiding for a while.
1: Because you and Gove have got history. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's fair to say you, you're probably not his biggest fan. That's probably true to say. Yes. Yes. Uh, but
2: I'm, I'm really pleased with where he is now. I think. <laughs> <very fantastic. laughs>
1: Because <laughs> um, for, for the uninitiated, you were a minister under him when he was Secretary of State for Education. Um, what was that experience like? Well, it was challenging. <laughs> it, was, um, it was always challenging
2: working with um, Michael Gove. The trouble is, I mean, Michael Gove, whether you like him or not, and probably most people here will hate his gut, <laughs> um, and he's one of those people that sort of trigger a, a real Marmite reaction with, uh, with people. For all his faults. He was probably one of the most successful ministers in the first couple of years in terms of how quickly and how radically he reformed education. Whether you think whether well, those reforms are right or not, the pace at which he went about it, the zeal which he had uh, for it, was pretty impressive. So actually, he was a, a good minister, good secretary of state in that uh, uh, in that respect. But the trouble is, I mean, I, Boris called him um, uh, what is pathologically Machiavellian or, um, or whatever in the end. There is a dark side I fear to Michael where he gauges how well he's doing by how many people he's pissed off. <laughs> and pissing off an awful lot of teachers is probably not a good idea because those teachers will still be teaching our kids, most of them, in the next few years and having a lot of influence over parents and, uh, uh, and others. And that was his flaw, I think. He's brilliant ideas, brilliant reformer, great passion, great energy, but at the end of the day it becomes a toxic combination and that's, that's what went wrong with him.
1: And um, why did your relationship with him start to sail?
2: I just we were just on a collision course with I had different um, priorities. I mean, I, my role was a minister for children, doing children's social care stuff, which I feel is really really important. I feel it's getting a bit neglected at the moment. Whereas Michael was only really interested in, in education, so it's very difficult for me to get on with what I was trying to do and what I knew knew we needed to do. When you had a secretary of state who had other other priorities.
1: But it's, it's one thing to have different political priorities. It's then about how you manage that as individuals, isn't it, and personalities. What was it about his personality that was difficult to deal with?
2: No, I, d- I just did my own thing. That was probably the best way to keep, um, keep out of it. So, um, and I... The last time I spoke to Michael was on the 4th of September 2012 until the days after the leadership when all of a sudden he's come up and wants to be my friend again <laughs> for some reason, which is a bit spooky, really. Um, because
1: you were quite badly treated, really, by the people around him, weren't you? They, even the, I think the Tory Education Twitter feed was quite nasty to you. I mean, did uh, that they, have...
2: yes. They, 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 there's certain special advisor types around him who uh, uh, certainly they don't take any prisoners. You don't want to get on the wrong side of. But you know, there we go. That's all part of the darker side of politics, which is now happening to the Labour Party. So we didn't have to worry about <laughs> it.
1: Indeed. <laughs> but one of those people was Dominic Cummings, who was effectively running Vote Leave. He was. So yeah. was that. Was that a strange reunion?
2: I I had nothing to do with that side of boat leave. (laughs) I get to get clear of it.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
3: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But
2: Noom
1: worked for me.
0: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: Um, so then we're in a situation now where Theresa May is, is Prime Minister. Uh, Mother Teresa. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you must have obviously been, been gutted that it wasn't Andrea. Um, but when it was announced that Theresa was now, obviously, de facto uh, default leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister, what was your initial reaction?
2: No, I, I, have, I have a lot in common with, with Theresa. I was elected in 1997 along with Theresa. I was born in Eastbourne. <laughs> My father was a vicar, as was uh, hers from Eastbourne. Both went to state schools. So I've always gone on very well with them. Teresa, but I've sat on the Home Affairs Select Committee, as you know, for the last week, because you, for your light entertainment, watch the Home Affairs Select Committee. That's right. <laughs>
3: um,
2: from your running machine you tried to claim in your gym as well. I think. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I always gave her quite a hard time in front of the Home Affairs Select Committee, which I think you should. I mean, you're there to hold ministers to account. So she, um, I think she bears a few grudges because of that. And the fact that I run Andrew's campaign didn't go down very well. But I have... I think she'll be a really good Prime Minister. If Andrew hadn't been there, I would have supported um, Theresa. Although I think it's going to be a bit of a problem having a non-Brexit Prime Minister. But hey, Brexit means Brexit, and we're all Brexiteers <laughs> now, aren't we?
1: <laughs> so do you, do you trust Theresa May to deliver the the Leave vote
2: in the manner in which you would have expected? No, I think so. I have no problem. There's loads of shenanigans at the moment. As, you know, When are you going to trigger this? Or are you going to invoke um Article uh, the Article fifty, or are you going to um just uh get rid of the seventy two Act, et etc. Um, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about all the detail of, uh, of, of that. She knows what she needs to do. She knows that we've got to come out of the uh, EU. She knows that needs to make sure we have control of our borders, etc., etc., et all those sorts of things. How we actually go about it is not going to be easy, and I think we need to give her some time and space to be able to do it in the best way, at the most appropriate time, with the best people, with the proper agenda, to get what we need to. So, yeah, and I think she's capable of that, and she understands that, and she played quite a canny game in the referendum by being quite a quiet Remain supporter in the end, and clearly this was why.
1: So, in terms of, I mean, the, t- the two key things for even some people who voted Leave, but certainly for people who voted Remain, are access to the single market and the retention of free movement. I mean, are those two things you'd like to see stay, or are those things that you think we should leave?
2: The free, the free movement thing is, is a big issue, so we've got to come up with some formula. I don't know what that formula ultimately is going to uh, to be, but I mean, they're not. They're not crazy in the, uh, uh, in the rest of Europe. They know we've got to come up to uh, uh, an agreement. And effectively, free movement in Europe isn't happening at the, at the moment because borders are starting going up because of the immigration crisis we've, we've got. And frankly, if our EU partners had understood that and come up with an agreement, then I don't think we would have had the result that we'd, uh, that we'd had. But that was a big issue for many, for many people. So we've got to have some arrangement that means that we can control our immigration policy. If that means, ultimately, we still have as many people from Europe coming in here, that's not the point. That's up to us to make that decision and be able to carry that through. And what about access to the single market? Well, the single mar- access to the single market is different from being members of the single market as, uh, as well. You know, America, Canada, all those other nations get access to the single market, and it's the basis of what that access um, uh, is, I'm I'm quite optimistic about this. At the end of the day, we have a 68 billion pound trade deficit with the EU. 25 billion of that is with Germany um, alone. They are going to lose out big time if they start playing silly buggers and having lots of tariffs and things like things like that. It's not going to be easy, but now we have Liam Fox in control of our trade agreements, <laughs> it's going to be fine. <laughs> Do you get on with Liam? Yeah, Liam's good. He's fine. And David Davis, great, super, fantastic people. <laughs> Crack team that you need at the <laughs> at the front of this very important uh, time in Parliament.
1: It was interesting that um, the Prime Minister appointed effectively three people to deal with it: Boris Johnson, <clears throat> Liam Fox, and David Davis. Is that and they all hate each other? Yeah, that's right. But is that is that a sort of deliberate piece of politics that they fight each other instead of? No, Earth? it is quite
2: clever because um, I mean those three. Well, certainly David Davis and, and Liam have got form, although they come from very similar sides of the Tory party and similar. Uh, views, so there's a bit of a turf war um, there. But the two things that unites them is that they haven't got an awful lot of time for Boris, it would seem. <laughs> However, the three of them are going to uh, have to deal with it. So it's quite clever of trees to put those three there on the basis if that they, if they fail, she can say, well, I told you so. Um, but anyway, I, I think they're going to they're do well and in a few months' time, you'll be wondering what all the fuss is about. <laughs> and in a, few years, in a few years' time, you'll we'll all, be, all be saying, why on earth did we remain members of that racket
1: for so many years? Because, well, this is the thing, is that I voted Remain... and Sharp intakes a breath at the front right? <laughs> so, Uh I voted Remain, but I, I had my issues with the European Union. I, I don't think it works perfectly, and I think a lot of people see that there's a democratic deficit there, that there the are financial troubles that the European Union has. There are a lot of things that it doesn't do right. So when I'm trying to find positives in the result, I do think, well, perhaps we've... Maybe I can find some positivity in the fact that we will leave that institution and the institutions of the EU, but... It felt sort of bigger than just the narrow constitutional issue, does not it? It was about immigration and the economy. It felt emotional at times as well. I mean, is there any part of you that is sad
2: that we're going to leave the EU? Well, I've had, I've had hell from my kids ever since, because I'm the only one in my household who voted to leave.
3: Is that true?
2: <laughs> yeah, I've ruined my children's careers. One of them wanted to be a translator in the European Parliament. <laughs> Apparently. Um,
1: so they voted to yeah. remain your family. Yeah. So what sort of discussions are we having over the kitchen table? Oh,
2: very civilised ones, yeah. <laughs> My My son yesterday took a photo of some EU circle of stars for some project funded in a place we went to visit yesterday and posted it on Facebook just to say, this place, this isn't going to happen anymore. This place is going to fall into rack and ruin because of you. So I'm constantly facing this rubbish, even for your own kids. <laughs> Let alone all the hate email you get from constituents and everybody else. And people from Alicante keep writing to me as well, <laughs> Ruin their lives.
1: <laughs> what sort of emails do you get, then? Uh, what, from Alicante? Yeah. Oh, I'll
2: send you something. It's extraordinary. <laughs> no, we are Satanists, you know, all that sort of stuff.
1: Incredible. And, and from constituents, has there been a sort of reaction on the streets when you're back in the constituency?
2: No, I've, I, quite a few people came up to me. I do street surgeries every, every most Saturday mornings. And a few people came up to me after the result and said... God, I'm ashamed of you. Oh, I'm sorry, but apart but from what your have family. I done? Yeah, quite. <laughs> A lot of people came up and said, "Well done, thank God, we've done it at, uh, at last." But I'm um, the initial reactions. I mean, there were some real overreactions, and we're now what almost two months um, on, and I think things have settled down. And because all the Armageddon that was supposed to break out straight away hasn't happened, and people are actually starting to think through it. Uh, and that there are opportunities there as well 27 nations have already sort of signed up Saying bit of a trade deal with you As soon as possible, um, please There are opportunities from this as well It's not going to be easy, nobody said it was going to be um, easy But in the longer term I, I still absolutely think we've made the right, right
1: decision Was there any part of you when you saw The sort of value of the pound plummet On referendum night That thought we might have fucked this up
2: uh, I, I was up all night I was in Scotland and I went out the following morning to try and get a signal. You can't get a bloody signal in this country. <laughs> to do a radio interview about the result, and I'd, I'd stayed up all night, um, and then actually seen the result. And I say I was surprised, although it was quite clear, after Sunderland and some of the northeast results, where things were things were going. Um, and. There was a bit of an eerie feeling about it. I went up to because I was in Scotland. I felt, you know, people are looking at me differently. <laughs> so I took the don't leave sticker off my car straight away at that stage. Um, and so you did think, gosh, this is quite a big decision because we, you know, we didn't really think we were going to, uh, to do it. So now we've got to make sure we get it absolutely, absolutely right. And in those first few days, gosh, what is going to happen? But look, the stock market's at a record um, or recent uh, uh, high. The pound... Will bounce back at some stage. In the meantime, it's got advantages for exporters. It's not so good if you're going a holiday uh, on in the Alicante. continent <laughs> in Alicante, um, but we'll come to Scotland. You know, have a staycation, and it will get better
1: next year. <laughs> Sounds like a weather report. Yeah. But I, I, I hope you're right. Um, I mean, you mentioned um, in terms of uh, the relationship, the relationships within the Conservative Party, a particular offender earlier, Nick Bowles. Uh, and, and the famous message that he... Was it a text message you sent to certain Conservative MPs? Well, about... I've got a copy of it here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> How much stuff have you... Is that, is that Mary Poppins' bag? Well, like this was
2: a favourite. I mean, this, this incredible... This is what completely sunk gave. When a day or so before the, the final vote, N- Nick Bowles sent an email to certain Conservative MPs which said, You are my friend. <laughs> I respect the fact that you want Theresa May to be PM. It is overwhelmingly likely that she will be. And if she does, I will sleep easily at night. But I'm seriously frightened about the risk of allowing Andrea Ledson onto the membership ballot. What if Theresa stumbles? Are we really confident that the membership won't vote for a fresh face who shares their attitudes about much of modern life like they did with IDS? I'm not asking you to respond unless you positively want to have a chat, but I hope that you'll reflect on this carefully. Michael doesn't mind spending two months taking a good thrashing from Teresa <laughs> if that's what it takes. But in the party's interest and the national interest, surely must work together to stop Andrea Leadsom. What a tosser! <laughs> And did, that was the end of him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> did you? Um, did, did he text you that message? Funny
2: enough, I didn't get that message, no. <laughs> but, um, but enough people who were always going to give it to the press did. <laughs> so.
1: And uh, did you send him any message? No, I didn't, no. no. <laughs> Uh, well, let's just jump. We've only got a few minutes left, so if anyone in the audience starts to ask a question, we'll just have the house lights up a little bit. Reese has got a roving mic that is going to come round with, and maybe we can take two or three questions. There's a gentleman at the front who's very keen. We'll bring a microphone down to you, and then just wait for that, and we'll, we'll get a question in. Just the chap down here in the stripy top. There we go. And just let us know your name and where you're from as well, oh, yeah, please.
2: I'm James Mitchell, and I'm from uh, Surrey, near Guildford. <clears throat> Tim, last year, I think you, uh, it was reported you joined the Labour Party, or at least paid three pounds uh, with, the, with the open and expressed intention of voting for Jeremy Corbyn, saying that you wanted to um, sink the Labour Party,
3: put it into oblivion for the foreseeable future. Serious question. I mean, you might like to explain why you did that, but do you think it, it's healthy for politics, for, uh, uh, for the Conservative Party or any party, to have no effective opposition?
1: Did, did everyone hear that question?
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. A... But, OK, you're absolutely right. The story behind that was... Um, and I think what I did has actually been um, vindicated, and a few other people did it. I just wanted to see how easy it was to sign up as a friend of the, the Labour Party. So I think probably after a few too many uh, drinks, I got on uh, online, tapped it all in on my... Tim Lawton, Conservative Member of Parliament for East Worthing and Shore um, uh, email um, address <laughs> to become a friend of the Labour Party which would entitle me to a vote in the, in the leadership so I thought it all in um, and I gave my credit card number my £3 and then it, at the end of it, it says and please give your reasons for wanting to become a supporter of the Labour Party which I quite honestly uh, said to vote for Jeremy Corbyn in order to consign the Labour Party to oblivion for a generation <laughs> <laughs> Press send, and a few minutes later, welcome to the Labour Party. <laughs> and, it, and it didn't stop there. And then the following day, I got a really friendly message saying, great, you're on the Labour team now. We're really looking forward to having you with us. Then Harriet Harman herself sent me uh, an email saying, it's really good to have you on board. We've got a great challenger ahead of us. And this went on for about a week. And I was dining out on it. I've ever, ever seen this fantastic three quid. This is the best three quid I've ever, ever spent. And I, and I spoke to a journalist and I told them what I'd, uh, what I'd done. And uh, I said, look, there's, if I ever got a voting paper, I would tear it up and tweet a photo of me doing it because that's absolutely not my intention. My intention is to show how easy it is for various people who haven't got the best interests of the Labour Party to become um, people who can vote for the leader of the Labour Party, the leader of the Manchester's opposition. And it's a crazy situation they got themselves into. A week later, the Guardian rung me up and said, Mr Lawton, we hear on good authority. You signed up to be a member of the Labour Party. I said, yeah, it's fantastic. Three quid, this is what I did, on my Tory MP email um, address... So they run that story. Later that day, I got a tweet from the Labour Party saying, ah, we found you out. <laughs> no, you haven't, you lying bastards. I, I, I told the Guardian. Um, and then they said, ah, and you're not getting your three pounds back. And then, oh no, which... Twitter went mad, and the best one, I got, I got an email from a retired trading standards officer from Lincolnshire saying, I think you've got a good case to challenge another trading <laughs> standards. You signed up in good faith, you should get your three quid back. <laughs> so in answer to your question, no, it's not good that the Labour Party is in such, a, in such a state. I mean, we, the Labour Party had the reverse with us when we were going through all our trials and tribulations, it's not good for government to have such a crappy uh, opposition. And the government becomes complacent, it becomes uh, arrogant, and you need a strong opposition to hold you to um, account in the interest of democracy and the interest of the country, and the Labour Party not doing that. If anybody's doing that at the moment, I have to say it's the SNP who turn up diligently, they hunt as a as a pack, they ask lots of... Yeah, quite. They ask lots of awkward questions and, you know, they are really working working the system. Well, they are a first-class leader, effective. haven't
3: they? That's the... but they, know that's
2: what they, the... they know what they're doing. They haven't got the numbers to, but they can really bugger things up um, for us. And, um, and they have been at
1: times. But it should be the Labour Party doing that and that's a real problem for all of us. Thank OK, you. we've got uh, time for one quick question. Does anyone... Sort of nearer the back, perhaps. I can't see everyone, so if people want to shout or just take this uh, chap here. Yeah,
3: yeah hello. Uh, I'm Keith Guthrie. I'm from Edinburgh. I just wondered if you had any idea when Article 50 is going to be invoked.
2: <laughs> I think that's Theresa question. May on the phone right now. Actually.
1: That's a serious <laughs> question, isn't it? It is a very serious question.
2: Uh, it's not going to be this uh, this year, and it may not be right at the beginning of next uh, next year. What I think is important is that we need to have a team of people with a proper agenda in place to start those negotiations. Now, the, the fact is that we don't have any skilled trade negotiators because we haven't had to negotiate any trade deals since 1973, as we've been a member of the, the EU. The most experienced trade negotiation lawyer at the moment is uh, Mrs. Uh, Clegg, it would um, turn out. Um, so we need to get those people into place because we're going to need to play hardball. So if it takes well into next year, then I'm quite relaxed about that. As long as Theresa May sets out what she's going to do and when it's likely to happen and how it's going to come uh, come about, so I'm not I'm not jumping up and down and saying it's got to be done now, got to be done now, because I'd rather go in properly armed rather than do it. Bloody, how serious are these negotiations?
3: <laughs>
1: oh, they're going to go
2: on for ages.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: So should somebody not have thought about that in the first
2: place? But that was always going to be the case. Nobody said it was going to be easy. When you have been part of a relationship for 43 years, then extricating yourself from that relationship is is not going to be uh, easy. I mean, it's sort of even worse than a, a marriage. You know, the divorce bit is easy, is who gets the dog and the CD collection afterwards that you're arguing for ages so it's, it's going to be tough but we'll do it and it's in everybody's interest on either side of the channel to make sure we have a happy conclusion
1: Thanks very much for the question Ladies and gentlemen that brings us to the end of the show Thank you very much for coming um, Please give a massive, massive thank you to a superb guest Mr Tim Lawson. Thank you very much. Well there you go, Tim Lawton at his uh, comedic best, an absolutely superb guest as always. The political party returns to London in September on the last Wednesday of the month when my next guest will be former Liberal Democrat leader Nick. Clegg I think the tickets have already sold out But as always It's worth checking the website stjamestheatre.co.uk and following me on Twitter At Matt Ford Just to see if any late tickets come up Sometimes people tweet me if they can't go So there's always the opportunity to get late tickets I'm also delighted to announce That I've had a TV show commissioned Unspun Uh, I know some of you came to the pilot Earlier in the year Well Dave have commissioned a series That starts in September Um Uh, So I'm really excited about that. Tickets for that will be free and will be available on various uh, teleaudience websites. I'll be tweeting out how to get tickets to those, but obviously I'll be really keen to have people who listen to the podcast and people come to the live shows be able to go that as well, so... Uh, Do follow me on Twitter and I shall keep you fully abreast of all the news. As always, thank you very much for downloading this. I can't wait to get back into the swing of doing it in London and, of course, making uh, a TV show when the political party element of it will be part of it. So it'll be very much a new topical political TV show with a chat show element at the end with some just wonderful guests, uh, including some who have appeared on the podcast. So uh, stay tuned and uh, look for the announcements.